Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app around the world, and bringing you the best in politics with the Jewish angle. And I'm happy to have as my guest a newly elected Assemblyman-elect uh, from up in Rockland County, the 97th Assembly District, Michael Lawler, a longtime friend, uh, defeated uh, Ellen Jaffe, uh, a flip of a assembly seat that went from blue to red in New York. Believe it or not, we are two weeks after the election and uh, still not all the races have been called. Not all the ballots have been counted in New York State. We'll get into that for a second. But first and foremost, Michael Waller, welcome to Spin Class and congratulations on your election. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting sworn in uh, January 1st and getting to work on behalf of the people of Rockland County. Uh, truly was a wonderful experience and I'm, I'm deeply humbled uh, by the faith that the voters uh, placed in me uh, and, and by choosing to elect me uh, to represent the interests of Rockland County. You know, I talked uh, a lot during the course of the campaign about three major issues, affordability, education, and public safety. Uh, and I'm gratified that the voters uh, heard my message um, and decided that it was time for change. Uh, my opponent had been there in Albany for uh, going on 14 years. Um, and I think, I think voters were ready for a new voice and a new direction uh, representing us in Albany. So tell us a little bit about the 97th district. Uh, it's certainly of interest to members of our audience, uh, primarily focuses on the Jewish community. It's got a large Jewish population. Uh, certainly Rockland County is one of the largest Jewish populations by percentage of any county in the United States. Uh, you have a piece of that. And a lot of people want to know the politics there because they've heard little snippets of politics there. Uh, clearly, you won as a Republican in a longtime Democratic seat. So let's talk about that for a second as well. Yeah, it's a you know it's a two to one Democratic seat uh, wow. in a two, two to, to one, one Democratic county. Yeah, in a presidential um, year. So uh, even even more of an uh, perceived uphill climb there. No, absolutely, and you know record turnout in uh, in, in this year's presidential election and. Uh, in Rockland County, and you know we're we're outnumbered significantly. I think there's a 22,000 uh, voter enrollment disadvantage for Republicans uh, in the district. It's almost 40,000 Democrats to about 18,000 Republicans. Um, the district is all of the town of Orangetown and part of the town of Ramapo. Uh, it includes Suffern, where I grew up. I went to Suffern High School, um, Chestnut Ridge, Airmont. Montebello, Muncie, Kayser, uh, Spring Valley, New Square, Hillcrest, and Hilburn. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of the most diverse districts uh, in the state of New York and certainly in Rockland County. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, we, we were able to win uh, in a district uh, that, that is two to one Democratic. And, and the way we did it is very simple. We, I said from the very beginning when I announced my candidacy, that I would reach out to every community. I would, I would introduce myself. I would talk about the issues that mattered um, and let the, let the voters decide. And that's exactly what happened here. And, and you know, it's, um, it's gratifying uh, when, you, when you can get your message out and, and the voters embrace it. 
So being a Republican and you you led on election night, we've seen this red mirage. I guess that's the term of art that everybody's using of Republicans around the state holding substantial leads on the election day vote. And then in New York State, we don't count the paper even starting for another week uh, when it when it comes down to it. So and now we've seen a number of races called, including the race uh, along that you ran alongside for the state Senate, uh, Bill Weber mm-hmm. against Elijah Reichlin Melnick. Uh, and that was originally led by the Republican now has seems to have gone uh, blue. So tell us a little bit how you avoided that trap, uh, I guess, of, of keeping that Republican lead that you had, keeping that red lead that you had um, and uh, taking that uh, not just on election night, but taking that forward. Well, we, we had a very strong campaign. I'm very proud of the campaign that we ran from start to finish. You know, I, I, I focused in heavily on raising money. Uh, we raised in the end about $310,000, which helped us get our message out. Um, That's a very substantial that, number for for an assembly race for a Republican, I would imagine. Yes, in New York State. Yes, I think people and, need to. And, and, I think people need to understand that. That's tip, that, that's atypical of people running it for the assembly. I, I was I was one of the highest uh, raising candidates on either side uh, in the, in the state assembly this year. And, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, you know, that was obviously important to get the message out. And so we were able to get the message out and focus in heavily on an absentee program, um, and make sure that we were, um, you know, reaching out to every voter that applied for an absentee ballot. Um, and, and, you know, talk about the issues and, and, and make them aware of our candidacy. And I think that was critical towards holding on, once all the absentees were counted, about 60% of the absentees requested in my district were, were from uh, Democrats, about 20% were from Republicans and 20% were from, uh, you know, blanks and unaffiliated voters. And, you know, so we were very targeted. We really uh, went after uh, those voters in terms of trying to, to secure the their vote. Um, but, you know, we had, a, we had a very strong election day uh, poll operation. Uh, I defeated um, Assemblywoman Jaffe on election day uh, by almost 12,000 votes. Um, and then, you know, after the um, early vote was added, I was up by 7,500 votes. So, you know, we had about 7,500 votes with about 13,000 absentees to be counted. Uh, so, you know, at the time, uh, the Assemblywoman would have had to uh, win about 79% of the absentees to overtake my lead. And so I felt very comfortable on election day declaring victory uh, for that very reason, um, because it, it, it was a significant uh, margin uh, given the number of absentees uh, remaining. And because we had a very substantial absentee program uh, to, to really try and combat uh, you know, what has seemingly happened in a number of races uh, where the Democrats have clawed their way back to to overtake uh, a bunch of Senate and Assembly races across the state. You seem to have run uh, incredibly strongly in the Orthodox Jewish areas of your district. Uh, Aramont, as you mentioned, Chestnut Ridge, Muncie, New Square, uh, parts of Kaser. Uh, you ran very strongly, far better than Republicans in the past have run. And, you know, we, we, 
the the audience out there knows of some of the challenges and some of the issues that the Rockland County Republicans in particular have had with the Jewish community, uh, with the Orthodox community. Uh, is your election a sign of, of a change in that relationship? Is your election a sign? What did you do differently than other candidates had done in the past? Well, I think there were two, two major factors. Number one, obviously, President Trump received uh, strong support uh, from the Orthodox community. Um, and so that was obviously helpful uh, for, for my race in terms of both turning out the vote um, and, uh, you know, and, and garnering support down ballot. Uh, secondarily, you know, I said from the very beginning, I, I was going to uh, reach out to every community. I was going to introduce myself. I was going to talk about the issues. And I spoke, you know, uh, very directly to the issues, uh, you know, affordability, uh, taxes, uh, education. Uh, I believe in school choice. I always have. Um, and I think that obviously uh, appealed uh, to, to voters uh, in the Orthodox community. And, you know, I think we can all agree about the need for safe neighborhoods. And, you know, we had some uh, several incidents uh, late last year during Hanukkah. Uh, up here where, uh, you know, a deranged individual uh, attacked and, and injured and killed, um, you know, several members of the, of the Jewish community uh, on, during Hanukkah. And I think, you know, the, the need for safe neighborhoods and the fact that my opponent co-sponsored the Cassius Bail Law, um, you know, was, was a major issue. Uh, that that appealed to voters all across the district. And, you know, like I said, this is a two to one Democratic district. It's a district uh, that my opponent uh, won seven times. Uh, and it's a district uh, where she appealed in the past to, you know, Republicans and unaffiliated uh, voters. And I think she really lost touch uh, with the district and, and with the various communities within the district. And that's a large uh, part of why I won, because we were able to appeal uh, with a very broad message and build a broad coalition in law enforcement, uh, the building trades, Republicans, um, and, and of course, the, the Orthodox and Hasidic communities. And so, you know, to me, uh, I said it from the very beginning, I was going to reach out to everybody. I did that. Um, I talked about the issues. Um, it's not to say that there aren't areas of, of disagreement. Um, and certainly in Rockland, uh, there has been a lot of disagreement on issues like development. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think those are issues that I want to sit down and uh, try and find some, some commonality and try and find some areas uh, of agreement so that we can, we can start moving forward uh, and that everybody can live uh, together uh, peacefully and cohesively. Um, and, and understand, though, that, you know, there are different needs for different communities. And, you know, uh, it's something that we're going to have to continue to work through. Um, and I'm certainly uh, willing to, to sit down and, and talk and try to work through these issues, um, because, you know, they, they, they are important issues. Uh, they are uh, heartfelt issues that people care about, whether it is the issue of development or it is the issue of, of the uh, public schools in East Ramapo. Um, and we need to figure out a way to work together and, and try to resolve a lot of these issues. And so that's, you know, that's something that I uh, certainly over the course of the campaign uh, talked about and, and uh, I'm going to move forward uh, to try and, and uh, lead 
uh, and and bring uh, bring some resolution to some of these issues. So what I don't know what the final count is. I'm not sure that anybody right now knows what the final count is as to how many members of the assembly or Republicans are going to be going to Albany for this coming session. Uh, do you know at this point? So ba- ba- yeah. So based on. Uh, the, the results that we know so far, it appears that my uh, race will be the only Republican pickup uh, in the state, uh, in, in wow. the state assembly. And there will only uh, seemingly be one uh, Democratic pickup, uh, and that's uh, uh, Assemblyman Johns in a Rochester-based seat. Um, so the numbers are going to remain the same uh, at uh, 107 Democrats and 43 uh, Republicans. Uh, when we when we get back to Albany in January. Oh, wow. So that's so I guess, you know, what people saw on election night is is entirely different than what people are going to see in the final results. Yeah, you know, I think, look, uh, obviously, Republican voters, uh, by and large, chose to vote on Election Day. Uh, and Democrats were were evenly split among those who voted on Election Day and voted uh, early, either during early voting or by absentee ballot. Um, and so, you know, that obviously uh, impacts the final the final count. Um, but, you know, certainly uh, I think we can all have confidence in, in the way these uh, the Board of Elections, certainly in Rockland, I know uh, they were very uh, methodical and going through the absentees and making sure that people, you know, uh, who requested it and returned it, that it was in fact their ballot. And um, so I have, I have full faith in, in the results. Okay. And what do you expect uh, to accomplish? Let's say being in the minority uh, it's being the minority is not so easy going up to Albany. And what, what is it that you, what's on your agenda? What's on your plate uh, as a suburban Republican uh, trying to in a very, very progressive environment? Well, I think first and foremost, the, the, you know, I didn't run for elected office to, to be a potted plant. And I'm not going to, to Albany uh, just to collect a paycheck or, um, you know, be, uh, be seen. I'm going there to fight for the people of Rockland County. And I think for too long, uh, our state representatives have failed to fight uh, for our interests. We pay the second highest property taxes in America. We have a broken state school aid formula, which shortchanges Rockland County schools millions of dollars every year. Um, and, you know, a lot of our, our representatives have basically been a rubber stamp uh, for, for New York City. And so I want to I want to go there and fight uh, for Rockland County, uh, raise issues, raise awareness to the voters uh, down back in Rockland County of what's going on, uh, how my colleagues are voting. Um, and I plan on holding my colleagues accountable. You know, when you're when you're in the majority, you are the governing uh, party, obviously. Um, and, you know, part of my job will be to hold them accountable and make sure that people understand uh, what's going on. So, you know, I, I'm very much looking forward to working uh, with my my colleagues uh, in the majority to try and, and fix the unfair uh, and broken state school aid formula. So that Rockland County schools are treated like Long Island schools as opposed to upstate New York schools. Um, you know, and that's something that's critically important. I also on the issue of East Ramapo, um, you know, I talked about this during the campaign, I believe very strongly 
uh, that we need to get the federally mandated services of busing, books, special education uh, for private school students. We need to remove it from the public school system and pay for it separately at the, at the state level. Um, you know, our, our public schools, obviously, are, are, I'm a product of public schools. I, I believe in them. Uh, they're critically important. And I want to make sure that both our public school students get the fully funded education that they deserve and that our private school students are getting the federally mandated services that they're entitled to. And there's a way that this uh, could have and should have been done years ago. Uh, to, to ensure that both things happen. And unfortunately, it was just uh, you know, a failure on the part of my opponent and, uh, and her colleagues in Albany. And so that's something that I want to tackle head on and, and, and deal with immediately. Um, and then obviously, the, you know, the issue of public safety, I'm going to fight to, to repeal the cashless bail law. I think it was extremely short-sighted. New Jersey did something similar, but New Jersey uh, allowed for judicial discretion. And, right. you know, we need to make sure that judges have the ability to make decisions based on the evidence, based on the facts and based on uh, the accused uh, record and individual conduct and not just some, some statutory uh, language that takes none of that into account and doesn't, you know, really understand uh, what goes into to making these decisions. So, you know, okay. th there's a lot yeah. of issues that, that I that I think are critically important and I'm going to fight for them. So last question very quickly, and I know this is actually going to be relevant to our next guest as well, is that uh, how much, and I see we, it's back in the news as we see New York City Public Schools uh, announcing that they're going to close. How much did the Rockland Red Zone uh, come into play? I am aware of so much anger and frustration on the part of people living in Rockland uh, that at being designated a red zone by Governor Cuomo and the outrage about all the closures uh, how much anger vis-a-vis, -vis, I know we talked about President Trump at the top of the ticket really helping you. How much was anger directed at Albany for for this arbitrary red zone that was created, the yellow zone, the orange zone? Did that play in? Uh, and very quickly, just because uh, we're almost out of time. Yeah, I, I, I think it certainly had an impact. I think uh, it, was, it was evident that uh, people in the community uh, were outraged uh, by the governor's decision to uh, put put many of them inside a red zone. Um, I think one of the, one of the biggest uh, problems with how the governor has handled, uh, you know, this epidemic throughout is it's kind of haphazard and, you know, they pick and choose who they apply the rules to. If you're protesting and rioting in the streets of New York city, it's okay because, you know, you're a Democrat and that's fine. If uh, you know, if you're celebrating Joe Biden winning the election without uh, masks or in large crowds, no problem. You're fine. Uh, but if exactly. you're going to a religious service, um, you know, or or a private school, you know, then it's a problem. And I think I think where where there's a major issue is just kind of they pick and choose who they apply the rules to. The rules should be set and they should be applied across the board. And, you know, that's something that I think, obviously, as somebody who believes in law and order, you know, when you set the rules, you apply them across the board and they should be enforced and people should abide by them. But you can't pick and choose who you apply it to. And that's one of the biggest problems with this whole situation. OK, Michael Waller, Assemblyman elect from the 97th Assembly District up in Rockland County, uh, representing a sizable portion of the Orthodox Jewish community up there. Uh, good luck. Congratulations. And we look forward to hearing from you again as you, uh, you begin your next challenge. I appreciate it, Michael, and thanks for your friendship over the years. 
You got it, my friends. Okay, thank you. This is Spin Class, and we're proud to have with us Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, as well as uh, a First Amendment lawyer, litigator. Uh, he is also involved in the election, some of the election law litigation, post-election, I should say, litigation uh, of the 2020 presidential election. And Ron is going to hopefully fill us in for a couple minutes on some of the active cases going on uh, with uh, with regard to the 2020 election that uh, seem to be somewhat taking shape right now. But uh, I think we have no conclusion as of yet. Uh, I think we just heard uh, that there might be a Wisconsin recount, but only in certain counties. I'm not sure if that's uh, Ron's domain. But uh, Ron, welcome to Spin Class and take it away. Let us know what is going on. What's the prognosis? When do we think uh, we might know something? Well, there are a lot of things going on at a lot of uh, on a lot of different levels, and in a way, as confusing as things are now, and they've sort of taken shape. Um, and are a little bit easier to follow than they were a week ago. About a week ago, there were really two teams, and this, I think, had always been the plan, and it parallels what we did in 2016. There, there, there was the team more or less assembled by the Republican National Committee through the auspices of the Republican National Lawyers Association, which I've been a member of for many, many years, and we would be deployed to states where warm bodies are needed, not necessarily states where we are admitted. In 2016, I was in Philadelphia, 2016, I was in Pennsylvania as well, starting out in Scranton and then moving on to Philadelphia. There's another team essentially run by the campaign directly, um, what you might call it the Washington team or the White House team. That has become the dominant team. Um, there's a lot of cultural and backstory aspects to that change. All things being equal, you would usually expect the establishment, what we might call the establishment scene, to sort of have matters more in hand and have uh, a leading role here with sort of grace notes and extra emphases put on by the campaign. And what has happened is that a, a, the institutional Republican legal uh, cadre, we might say, has not really been able to come through. Um, the question of whether or not good choices were made early on, notwithstanding, in terms of tactics and, and strategy, a number of substantial law firms have either, have either tried to get out of representing the campaign or have actually, or, or have, without actually fully getting out, distanced themselves from the, from the president. So what has happened is that Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, who, whose involvement began to increase uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks, is pretty much running the show now out of the White House um, and I was, you know, working with him last week um, on some litigation issues. Since we last spoke, um, Rudy Giuliani and I, um, which was about a week ago, I've been pretty much getting signals, seeing emails, passing on information, trying to do some coordination, but also trying to serve my commercial litigation clients. I've been back home in Passaic. Um, and that, you know, so, but what's going on now, the focus I mean, is Rudy on... actually appeared in court yesterday, right? In Pennsylvania. So this, that, that, that in itself is kind of noteworthy, I guess, yes. uh, not because not taking any, anything away from a former U S attorney from the most important district of the country, but it's probably been a while since Rudy Giuliani actually litigated any case. 
Yeah, but but I completely understand why he did I, it. I'm not it's, suggesting that that was not appropriate. I'm just no, saying you, it's, you would, it's you would, you're newsworthy. An American, you would have a right to suggest that. If you have a relationship with Rudy, then you might not want to suggest it. But I will tell you that although it was probably not his favorite day in court during his career, or maybe it was, it was probably the right thing to do because basically the campaign had run through lawyers with the necessary stature and experience. And even if Rudy wasn't and isn't an election law expert as such, at least he comes in there with the experience and the credibility um, that you would want to see in that kind of situation. And, you know, in, in these red districts, in these blue districts, we are almost inevitably pulling Obama appointed judges or other liberal judges. So it's an uphill battle, regardless who does who does the, the does the arguing. It's a, it, it's a it's a it is not a fun thing to argue somebody else's papers, and that's the situation that he was in. But that's how things have developed. Money, I guess, question here because I'm sure the audience wants to know. Okay, what are the chances here? I mean, we're not talking about Florida of 2000. It's not 537 votes. It's not a couple hundred votes. We're talking about thousands, if not tens of thousands of votes. And it's being litigated to a number of different states. It's a bunch of states. Um, I know the president celebrated the fact that Wayne County, Michigan, did not certify, at least at first, their results. Then they went ahead and did that. Okay, so the Michigan seems like it's moving along. Tell tell us what's I, there's a lot at stake. I'm not asking you to assess that. I'm saying, but what are the chances well, there's, there's that, this get, that this so, that things get changed? I'll tell you that people who are experienced in election law are not optimistic because they will tell you that there are tremendous and troubling and constitutional level irregularities here that are readily amenable to proof and can be proved. The problem is judges don't tend to place the sort of weight on them that statutes would tell you they ought to. They, just as a matter of election law culture, it doesn't happen. Well, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, saying, so the, a judge, they're explaining an irregularity to a judge. They're saying that this is wrong and the judges does. Right. Well, I mean, in, in the colloquy with Rudy yesterday, the judge said, well, you, okay, so you identified all these irregularities. You want me to throw out 7 million ballots? And the answer to that, the law review answer, the technical answer, the correct answer is if they were not properly verified, if they are, if they are, suspect if they are uh, if they are tainted yeah i want you to throw them out but the election law maven will tell you judges don't do that right it's a, it's a, well that's a big thing for a judge to do to take that on their shoulders to throw out an election thing, right and, and that's it, yes. the only way anything like that can happen is if it happens at the supreme court level and the fact is they don't tend to do it but it is a new this is a situation and this is a 2016 was was crazy. 2020 is even crazier. I wouldn't assume that anything won't happen merely because it's never happened before. That's the best I can tell you is that we're, we're in new territory. And it's, ve- it's, it's hard for me to imagine how a justice of the United States Supreme Court observing the massive irregularities and, and open over the top fraud that has been demonstrated, it can be demonstrated in any court of law, uh, would say, listen, Ah, what do you want me to do? I, the referee shouldn't choose the should, shouldn't be the one to decide the the last goal of the game. Well, if there's a penalty, you got to call the penalty. That's the ref's job. Okay, but as a litigator, right? You're okay. With, you have to 
you don't always have to deal with timelines that are really, really soon, right? All this needs to happen in the next two weeks, essentially, That's if right. not and less. They, yes, and it's happening. I mean, in other words, the 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 issues are crystallizing. Um, you know, it's now the end of it's the end of, of you know of this week. I think next week is really going to be the week where we see what goes up, how it goes up, and in, in what in what posture it goes up. And um, you know, would I would I bet my you know uh, you know meager life savings on, uh, on on a good outcome for Trump? I can't afford that bet. But I would say that. Um, the Democrats are worried. And one of the things that I think is really remarkable is just how few of the Democratic political leaders, and especially people who were involved with Russia, uh, the Russia hoax, how quiet they've been. They know there are issues. They're hoping that by overwhelming the culture and overwhelming, you know, sort of a gaslighting campaign where the very premise that there could be a legitimate challenge is considered to be a conspiracy theory and irrational that that culture will seep up into the into the judicial chambers and that does happen it's a real thing that we have to worry about so there's a credible feeling out there even amongst lawyers uh, yeah, real well, that some lawyers, not just yes, suspects some lawyers Sorry. yes and some lawyers no but you know I, okay I, when i was appeared before the supreme court in in Mattel versus tam and we over you know we we had the us supreme court threw out a, a, a provision of the trademark a statute, the Lanham Act, which had been in place since well before you and I were born. Everyone said it couldn't happen because it had never happened before. And there had been many challenges before to the constitutionality of that statute under the First Amendment. Everything happens the first time until, and or nothing, everything that happens the first time hadn't happened before. Ah. Would you bet on me? Only if you knew how good I am. Right. Okay. Well, that's a good, uh, we're going to have to leave that as the last word uh, for Not this week, but but Ron Coleman, I really appreciate the update. Uh, certainly more insightful than what you read in the papers uh, I, uh, on Thank every you. level. And uh, look, good luck with the litigation. I Thank think you. we're all we're all watching and trying to learn and trying to figure all this out on the fly. Uh, and thanks for joining us here on Spin Class here on the Knoxville Legal Network. And stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. Thank you.